scripture reading comes to us from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. This is the word of God. Join me in prayer. Father, we are so thankful that we can come together as your people at this time to come into your presence, to worship you, and to hear from you, Lord. Father, may we not take this for granted, and may we once again be reminded of the finished work of the cross in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, which enables us to come into your presence as your people. God, would you speak to us now, and with your word, would you pierce our hearts, and as we listen, Lord, may we be cut to the heart. Thank you, and in Christ let me pray. Amen. During college, I did something crazy, as any uh, college student would do. Uh, my friend and I, we backpacked around Europe. We planned for about a year, and we planned meticulously uh, where we're going to land and which cities we're going to visit for 32 days and, and where we're going to actually take our, our flight out of Europe. So um, for an entire year, we were planning, 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 planning to make sure that we don't get lost in Europe. And once we were finally you know, done uh, with our itinerary, once we cover all the details and once we purchased our URL ticket, our plane ticket, we got our spending cash ready, and then we even had a visa, I mean, visa and MasterCard so that just in case we run into an unforeseen circumstance, we'll be ready, right? So we went, and we landed in London, and we took a train to um, Brussels, because London was just so expensive, it was our last stop. But, but within hours of beginning our journey, we got scammed. We ran into these fake police, and they cornered us, because we were going the complete opposite direction. Um, when we were looking for a hotel, we were like asking for it. We had this huge map with our huge backpacks. We are going to the other direction. So they cornered us and took our half of our spending mo- uh, cash right in front of our eyes. And we're like, wow, we got scammed. We even read about this scam, and we still got scammed. So I guess, like, you guys deserve to take our money. <laughs> and, and we planned everything out, but when that happened, we felt so hopeless and dejected. Like, what do we do now? This is day one. We still have 31 days left. We still need to visit 23 other cities. What do we do? Do we go back home or do we continue, take that huge leap of faith, and which we did. We looked at each other um, in our hotel room, and, and to make matters worse, that day when we got scammed and as we were walking to our hotel, it was pouring. We didn't have umbrellas. We were soaked. So two guys in the hotel room looking at each other, what do we do now? We can't just go home, right? He's like, yeah, we can't. Let's continue. So we took a leap of faith and we continued our journey. But because of this incident, the entire journey, the entire quest, if whatever you want to call it, became even more memorable. Because this 
one specific incident had a profound impact for the remainder of this trip. We didn't have money, so we only had one meal a day. And for lunch, we share a small McDonald's fries everywhere. Every city we went, just hungry, starving. But because of it, it made uh, the trip even more memorable. In today's passage, we see Abraham, the father of faith. uh, We see him embarking on a journey. He receives a call from God, and then he just goes, right? When God says, go to this land that I will show you, we see Abraham obeying this call and, and, and leaving um, in faith. Now, as we delve into uh, today's passage, I would like for us to consider three things. Number one, obeying the call. Number two, living in between promise and reality. And number three, being a blessing to others. Let's jump into the first point, obeying the call. Now, verse one. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Obviously, as you can see, Abram um, receives a clear call from God. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now how does Abram respond? He goes, right? He literally goes as he obeys this call that God gives him. But up until this point, not much has been shared about Abraham's life. But to let me uh, share a little bit, Abraham was born in the city of Ur. And at that, it was an important city because of its location. And according to an ancient um, history source, this is what it says concerning the city of Ur. From the beginning, Ur was an important trade center owing its location at a pivotal point where the Tigris River and the Euphrates River ran into the Persian Gulf. So it was located at such a strategic place, and because of it, people benefited. People were affluent, they were wealthy, they were able to live comfortably, they had access to luxury. And, and, and this ancient, uh, ancient nearest and source actually quotes, the people living in this city were not only extremely wealthy, but they were able to enjoy a level of comfort unknown in other cities. This is where Abram was born. Let me tell you a little bit about his family. Now, I'll be reading from Genesis chapter 11, verses 27 to 32. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah father Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran father Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred, in the Ur of Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the, and the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, and the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren, and she had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, and his grandson, and Sarai's daughter-in-law, his son, uh, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Or the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. As you can see, Terah, Abram's father, decided to take his family out of the city of Ur, to go into the land of Canaan. But what happened? They didn't go all the way. They went halfway, and they decided to settle in a place called Haran. Now, a significant time has passed since Abram was born, 
And at that time, um, Tara was 70 years old, which is mentioned in Genesis chapter 11, verse 26. And Tara was 205 years old when he died. So during that period, they were settled in this place called Haran. Now, when Abraham received this call from God, he had been settled here. And and in order to obey this call, that meant uprooting everything, leaving everything behind, leaving what is familiar, leaving um, all that he knows, and going into a situation where it's nothing but unfamiliarity and anything that's uncomfortable. So in that sense, for Abraham, in order to obey this call, he had to exchange what is comfortable for what is uncomfortable. He had to exchange what is familiar for what is unfamiliar. But he was willing to uproot everything in order to obey this call and to follow God wholeheartedly. Now, the translation that we just read, which is the English Standard Version, it says literally go, right? But if you look at this verse in its original language, which is Hebrew, it, it says something otherwise. And I think here, uh, the King James Version is a little bit more accurate translation. Because if you look at, if you read that, in, uh, read verse 1 in King James Version, it doesn't say go. It says, it says um, get thee out. It says get out, get yourself out. What is going on here? You yourself go. That's the the correct translation here. What does this mean? As you can see, when Terah brought his family, his clan, out of the war of the Chaldeans and to go to the land of Canaan, they didn't go all the way, right? They didn't obey. They settled halfway. And now God is calling Abraham, I want you to go all the way. But Abraham tells God, but they don't want to go. It's comfortable here. It's comfortable here. It's a good environment to raise our kids. We have, all the, we have access to everything we need. There's security here. There's stability here. We don't want to go. Obviously, they don't want to go. But, but God is telling Abraham, if they don't want to go, you yourself go. Get yourself out of Haran and keep going towards the promised land. God is saying, you want to obey me? You need to go. You need to get out. Get yourself out. But why does God tell Abraham to get himself out of this place, Haran? What's wrong with having stability? What's wrong with surrounding yourself with safety? Having access to possessions. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you read Joshua chapter 24, verses 23, this gives us a little clue as to what was going on uh, with Terah and his family during those days. Uh, jo- Joshua 24, verses 2 to 3. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. They settled there, and their, their lives were comfortable as a result, and they reaped the benefits of what was going on, its environment. But they ended up serving other gods. They came halfway and ended up serving other gods. And Ur was actually the center of lunar worship. The name Terah actually means moon. 
They're moon worshipers. And the name Chaldeans actually means moon worshipers too. It was a center of lunar worship. Yes, life was comfortable, but as they settled there and as they become more assimilated to the society and culture, they became like them. So God was telling Abraham, I know it's comfortable there. I know you have everything you want there. It is stable and you have security, safety there, but you're worshiping other gods. You're not worshiping me. So with that in mind, God calls him out. You yourself, get out. If your family do not want to go, then I want you to get out and continue journeying towards the promised land, this land that I will promise to give to you and your descendants. I think Warren Wearsby, he puts it best. The life of faith demands total separation from what is evil and total devotion to what is holy. And I do also believe that Bruce Walkie is right. When he, when he writes this, faith demands a ruthless abandonment of the past. Ruthless abandonment of the past. You have to leave that behind and never look back. What happened to Tara? He came halfway. Life got comfortable. Ended up serving other gods. So God is calling him out of that context. I want you to follow me. Yes, things will become uncomfortable. Things will get rocky, but I will bless you and you will be a blessing to those around me. And here we see the costliness of obedience, obeying God's call. Jump into our second point, living in between promise and reality. If you look at verses 2 and 3, God makes it pretty explicit as to what he will give to Abraham and and his descendants, right? I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, uh, dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This was God's promise to Abraham. But notice, everything is in the future tense. I will bless you. I will make you into a great nation. You will be blessed. Everything's in future tense. God didn't show him what this journey would look like. God didn't give him any specific instructions, any specific directions. God simply said, go. I will bless you. I will make you into a great nation. You will be a blessing. And through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Everything's in future tense. He doesn't get the blessing and then goes. He says, God says, go, I will give it to you. But notice how Abraham responds. He obeys. He obeys. He responds in faith. And from this point onward, journeying towards the promised land is literally living in between promise and reality, holding on to the promise, clinging to God, hoping and praying that that you don't lose sight of him until this becomes a reality, right? But that's what faith looks like sometimes. Hebrews 11, 8 puts Abraham's um, response in this manner. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going, He went out not knowing where he was going. 
As Warren Wearsby puts it, Abraham obeyed when he did not know where, how, when, or why. When Abraham began this journey of faith, he was 75 years old. And for the next 100 years, we're going to see him walking with God and trusting him every step of the way. Some might say this is blind faith. Did he really go out not knowing where he was going? But I don't think this is necessarily the case. And Oswald Chambers is helpful here. And he writes this in his book, My Utmost for His Highest, regarding Abraham's radical Remarkable response. This is what he writes, quote, Faith never knows where it is being led, but it loves and knows the one who is leading. It is a life of faith, not of intellect and reason, but a life of knowing who makes us go. The root of faith is the knowledge of a person. Abraham went not because of this promise that was just so good for him that he can really reap the benefits of this promise, Abraham went because it is God himself who called him to go. And he went trusting that God will remain faithful to this promise and that God will be with him every step of the way. Now, God did promise Abraham that that I will make of you into a great nation, right? And I think... um, Old Testament scholar Bruce Walker is helpful here, and he says, in order for you to be a nation, you need four things. You need a land, you need people, you need law, and you need a king. Now, from this point onward, if you read from Genesis 12 onward, you are going to be able to see how God remains faithful to, to this promise. I will bless you, you will become a great nation. And all the, uh, all the families of the earth shall be blessed through you. If you read from Genesis 12 onward, you're going to see God fulfilling this promise little by little, progressively. Fancy theological term is progressive revelation here, right? And, we, and when Abraham went, it was just him and his family. But by the end of Genesis, we see 12 tribes of Israel, 12 sons of Israel. And by the time we get to Exodus, law is given. And God raises up another leader, Moses, and now now they leave for the promised land, right? The book of Leviticus, more specific laws are given so that Israelites can continue to live a life of holiness that is pleasing before God. Numbers, the book of Numbers, the entire book is all about journeying to the promised land and the Israelites remaining rebellious and unfaithful, yet God remaining faithful to them. And Deuteronomy, I mean, this is... The sermon, the long sermon, some commentators say this is one long sermon with three points or three separate sermons, but this is, uh, this is Moses reminding the next generation as they're about to go into their promised land, remember God. And book of Joshua is all about, you know, going into the promised land, the conquest of the promised land. But by the time we get to Judges, still no king, right? I mean, they're going towards the land. I mean, God is remaining faithful. In terms of numbers, I mean, they're growing. They're multiplying, right? And law is given, but they're still missing a king. And these judges that God raises up, it points to the king that that, that, that God will ultimately raise up because these judges come and go. And when we get to 1 and 2 Samuel, we see the first king of Israel, Saul. He was unfaithful, so God removes him, but that paves the way for David too to become king. But what happens? David sins, and Solomon ultimately ends up breaking this kingdom into half 
and kingdom splits. And if you read onward, I mean, from 2 Kings on onward, you see all these kings that come and go, faithful, unfaithful, but ultimately pointing to the king of kings, Christ, who will come out of the, this line that the God is preserving. Abraham obviously had no idea. I mean, we have access to this. We can actually read about this. But when Abraham left, he had no idea that this was all going to play out, right? He didn't know what to expect, but he still obeyed. He went in faith. And in doing so, he completely surrendered his will to God. And let's be honest. How would you have responded if you received such a calling from God? Go to the land that I will show you. Nothing more. No specific instructions. No specific details. Just go. I think our attendance will be something like this. Like, God, I will go. I will obey as long as you tell me exactly how long it's going to take. As long as um, where you are taking us. As long as I get all my answers. As long as I can make sense of this, then I will go. But something is clearly wrong with that. And why is that? You are still in control. God is saying go, but you said, God, I will go, but I will go only if you fill in the blank. You're still in control. See, Abraham, he went. He literally went out. He got out in faith and with hope. You know, when Abraham heard these words of promise, God telling him, I will make you into a great nation. He probably wondered, like, how is this going to come to fruition? I mean, I believe God, but I don't even have an heir. I don't even have a son. At that time, Sarah was barren. So, every, so it was um, perfectly okay for Abraham to wonder, how is God going to make this happen? And whenever that came up, God told him to look up. Look up. Look up at the stars. See how many? Can you number them? So shall your offspring be. Whenever Abraham would doubt, God would tell him, look at the sand that's on the seashore. So shall your offspring be. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring will possess the gate of his enemies. Genesis 22 verse 7. God reminded him, that he will be faithful and that he will fulfill these covenant promises every step of the way. So yes, he went in faith, but he also went with hope, trusting the one who gave these covenant promises, these words, and trusting that he will deliver. Using Peter's rights concerning faith and hope, I quote, Hoping does not mean doing nothing. It is not a fatalistic resignation. It means going about our assigned tasks, confident that God will provide the meaning and the conclusions. It is not compelled to work away at keeping up appearances with a bogus spirituality. It is the opposite of desperate and panicky manipulations of scurrying and worrying and hoping is not dreaming. It is not spinning an illusion or fantasy to protect us from our boredom or our pain. It means a confident, alert expectation that God will do what he said he will do. It is an imagination put in the harness of faith. And it is a willingness to let God do it his way and in his time. It is the opposite of making plans that we demand that God put into effect, telling him both how and when to do it. That is not hoping in God, but bullying God. Abraham didn't do that. I'm sure he had questions, but he kept going in faith with 
hope. He continued to walk with God, trusting him every step of the way. And he did this for 100 years, living by faith and not by sight. He didn't lose sight of God wherever he went. Do you know what Abraham did after leaving, after receiving this call? Wherever he went, he worshipped. He set up an altar and worshipped. Warren Wearsby writes this, Wherever Abraham went in the land of Canaan, he was marked by his tent and his altar. The tent marked him as a stranger and pilgrim who did not belong to this world, and the altar marked him as a citizen of heaven who worshipped the true and living God. Abraham's pagan neighbors saw that he had an altar but no idols. He had no sacred places but built his altar to God wherever he pitched his tent. You could trace Abraham's steps by the altars he left behind. He was not ashamed to worship God openly while his heathen neighbors watched him. This is what he did. He went, and throughout this journey of faith, wherever he went, he pitched his tent and built an altar to worship God. He didn't lose sight of God every step of the way. But do you know what happened throughout this journey? I mean, in order for this to happen, Abraham had to first go out, right? He literally got out. But throughout this journey, his faith in God was deepened and strengthened. He encountered God more intimately, more deeply, more personally. And we see the journey, this journey itself, this crazy journey that he's on, eventually changing him for the better as God draws him closer and closer to him. Tim Keller claims that there is a fundamental difference between an adventure and a quest. To make this distinction, he writes the following, and I quote, The way the literary critic defines adventure is that an adventure is a daring back again. It is an exciting thing that you choose. You go and you have your adventures and you have all your thrills and it spices up your life and then you come home again and you pick your life again where you left off. An adventure is there and back again. But a quest is not something you choose. It comes to you. You sense a requirement. You're called to it because of what's involved. And you never really come back from a quest. In a quest, you either die for the quest or if you do come back, you're so changed that you're never, in a sense, really to come back. You're never, this, you're never the way you were. You're radic- you changed radically. Christianity is not an adventure. It is not a there and back again. Christianity is a quest. God says, get out, and you're going to be radically changed. Abraham continued his journey. After going out, he walked with God for 100 years. What do you think happened to him? He changed for the better. He met God more intimately, more deeply, more personally. How? Because he was willing to pull himself out of his comfort zone, his safety zone. He was willing to let go what was familiar because following God, even in this manner, was better than staying there and worshiping other gods. As you can see, Abraham didn't stop and this quest, this, this quest of faith changed him. And as he saw God f- remaining faithful and, and fulfilling these promises little by little, 
Abraham continued to worship God every step of the way. Abraham didn't have all the answers, right? But that didn't stop him from keep going. He didn't turn back. He kept going, trusting. And I think Eugene Peterson puts it best that faith uh, perhaps is a long obedience in the same direction. Long obedience in the same direction. Abraham, you didn't make any detours. You just kept going, trusting God in faith and also with hope. Let's jump to our last point, being a blessing to others. Verse 4, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. But this promise that God will bless him wasn't for just Abraham himself. God didn't say, Abraham, go, I will bless you so that you can live a life of blessing. God was very explicit. Go, I will bless you. I will make you into a great nation so that all the families of the earth shall be blessed through you. So that you could be a blessing through a blessing to other people. See, because we're sinners by nature, you know what our default mode is? We're always looking inward. And that's what sin does. Martin Luther, um, the Reformation theologian said, sin is curved inward. And because we're sinners by nature, that is our default mode. We're always looking for, uh, for the, our best interest. Our focus is always inward. But do you know what happens after you meet God? After you have an encounter like the one that Abraham had, you receive a calling that just radically changes you, that puts you on a journey, you're never the same again. But this is what the call of God does to you. And as you encounter God, you no longer have this inward outlook in your life. If you're walking with God, if God is doing an amazing work in you, then you'll be able to attest to this. You're no longer, your outward is no longer inward, but upward, outward, and forward. It changes. You no longer live for yourself. I mean, first and foremost, upward, right? You no longer live for yourself, but you live for God and his glory and his kingdom, and you look forward to his coming. And each day spent is bringing you closer to spending eternity with him. So you look forward to his coming because you know when he comes, he'll make all things new. Even though we are living in between that stage right now. And we have an outward focus, outward, outward outlook. We want to be a blessing to the people around us. We no longer live for ourselves. We live for God and his kingdom and his glory and we live for other people. We seek to bless others. If you meet God, if you have already met God, if you've been walking with him, you'll be able to say, that is true. But that's the difference. I don't know where you are in your walk with God. I don't know, when you, I don't know where you are in your, in your walk, walk of faith. Perhaps you've been following God wholeheartedly and perhaps you've been journeying with God on this quest that's been changing you radically. And even though you may not have the answers, you've been following God and, and this is becoming true in your life. If that is the case, praise God. Praise God. Continue to get out. 
of your comfort zones, your safety zones, your security zones, your familiar zones. Because spiritually, I think that's the, the most dangerous place that you can be. You're of no use when you just put yourself, corner and box yourself in these zones. You're of no use to the kingdom. This is why we need to get out. Perhaps some of you, you only came halfway. You received a call, but just like Tara, you came halfway and you're just stuck there because it's so comfortable and you have a hard time just letting go of these things. What is familiar? What is comfortable? What is safe? What is stable? But those things may be the very things that's keeping you from experiencing the power of God in your life. And God is calling you, get out. Get out. Get yourself out of that zone where you're of no use to this broken world and to me. Get out, right? And if this is true in your life, you no longer make decisions based on what benefits me the most. What is most comfortable for me? How can I increase my level of comfort, safety, and security, and stability? You no longer operate under these questions. But then the questions that you are asking are these. How can I be more of a blessing to the people next to me? Where can I be the, where can I be the, the most blessing? And you are no longer making decisions purely for your own profit, right? J.C. Ryle, he once wrote this. The highest form of selfishness is that of the man who is content to go to heaven alone. You have God in your life, so you're good. So you're going to just stay in, in that zone, comfort zone, familiar zone, safety zone, security zone. And you're going to just enjoy life, put on cruise control, and you die, go to heaven. Selfish. And how can you possibly live that kind of life after receiving a call from God? Because that call will change you, your outlook in life to upward, forward, and outward. And here are some penetrating questions that we all need to ask ourselves. I think honestly, have I been a blessing to the people around me? Am I living intentionally to be a blessing to the people next to me? Is there anything in my life that is keeping me from being a blessing to those around me? What do I need to give up? If you have already come out of that zone, I think that the the follow-up question that you need to ask yourself is, where can I be a blessing the most? This is something that we need to ask ourselves individually. This is something we need to ask ourselves as a ministry collectively. Where can we be a blessing the most? Where can I be a blessing the most. Do you want to be a blessing? Knowing that you're blessed to bless, first and foremost, you need to get out. Get yourself out. From where? Your security zones, your comfort zones, your familiar zones, your safety zones. Because you're of no use in that place to the kingdom of God, in advancing the kingdom I think Francis Chen is absolutely right when he says, let us be eager to leave what is familiar for what is true. If what is familiar is keeping you from remaining faithful to God, 
You need to get up. Simple as that. And I do believe that that God is calling us out (laughs) individually and collectively as a ministry. I think it's time for us to be honest with ourselves, right? Have I been walking with God faithfully? Have I been following God wholeheartedly? Did I only come halfway? And am I stuck in that zone where I'm of no good use to the kingdom? Do I still need to go out? Do I still need to get myself out? I think these are penetrating questions that we need to ask ourselves and be very honest about them. And it may not be the best thing. It may not be the most comfortable thing, right, to come out of these zones, to get out. But that's where you experience the power of God, when you learn to let go. Surrender your life, your will to God. Just give him full control, asking him to use you according to his gracious purpose and will for his kingdom and glory. But you won't get to that place unless you let go and let God and just get out. So that's my challenge to to all of you. And just as I have been so convicted while preparing this message, I do believe that we all have these zones that we need to get out of. What is your zone? God is calling you in faith. Let's take that leap of faith and let's follow him. For he will remain faithful every step of the way and provide. Let's pray. Father, we pray and ask that would you have mercy upon us. Father, as we honestly examine our walk with you, and Father, especially if we have been stuck just halfway, even after receiving the call from you, Lord, just being content where we are, in our comfort zones, safety zones, security zones, and safe zones, just enjoying life there. Father, may we just look back at the calling that you have given us, Lord, that this life is not for us to enjoy and to indulge into the things of this world. But Father, knowing that you have called us to to follow you and to be a blessing to the people around us, Lord. Father, if we ourselves cannot get out, Father, grant us strength so that we can get ourselves out of these zones and to follow you in faith and with hope knowing and trusting and believing that, that you will use us to bless this broken world. Father, this is our prayer. Make this become true of us as individuals and, and also as a ministry, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness to NCF. Just as our mission statement um, says, Lord, Father, would you continue to raise up men and women who will grow up in the gospel so that we will be able to bless the world. God, would you make this become more and more true in this ministry and also also in our lives, Lord. God, thank you that you are faithful. In Christ, let me pray. Amen. Let's continue to worship God as we uh, give our tithes and offerings to him. If you're visiting us today, please do not feel obligated to give.